Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sportsbook Podcast. Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. And good evening, everybody. It is the Alan Aaron Sports Talk podcast presented by Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting. You may just need a support group tonight. It is the April 29th, 2022 support group edition. And, of course, it's not the Alan Aaron Sports Talk podcast without both of us here. So uh, Alan is with us here tonight. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. Glad to be here on a Friday night with yourself, Aaron. And we're going to have a great show tonight. Absolutely. We got a lot to get to. Um, a lot of stuff going on. We are in full sports mode here uh, this evening. We've got the NFL draft. Uh, we're in round two here right now. Um, crazy draft yesterday. A lot of what was kind of predicted happened. Uh, we're, uh, what, three, four weeks into the baseball season now. So we're uh, fully uh, into uh, the baseball season. There's a lot of stuff to talk about there. Um, you know, playoffs uh, about to start in the NHL. Uh, basketball playoffs are already going on, and just a lot of stuff to get to. It's going to be hard to pack it all into one show here tonight, honestly, with as much as we have to get to. So uh, where do you want to start uh, here tonight? <laughs> good question. Good, good question. Let's go ahead and start. Wow, there's so many great big stories coming on. We'll go ahead and talk about the MLB season. We'll start there. And I wanted to ask a couple questions before we get into the more serious topics. But I wanted to get your opinion on microphones on the players. There's been, you know, that's been something new this year that they've had where the, quite a few of the players, at least one of the superstars per game, is mic'd up. So you get a chance to hear what's going on. What are your thoughts on the mic'd up situation? I think it's kind of neat. I mean, you know, you don't always get to hear unless there is, you know, a uh, mic from a particular feed that's on the field, uh, you don't always get to hear what's going on, and sometimes you catch some things you don't want to hear. Obviously, as an argument ensues, or maybe a, a fight breaks out between a batter and a pitcher, or you know, a couple of players from either side. So, I think it is kind of neat. Um, I do kind of think there, there's also, you know, a lot of times they have these on-field interviews in the middle of a game, and I kind of think that there's a little bit of pettiness to that because I think it, it kind of distracts the players from the game that's going on. I would more rather have it to where they're just mic'd up and you hear what they're talking about and they're not being interviewed, you know, by whoever's broadcasting the game. So, but I think it's a neat thing. And, and we're also seeing something too this year. And I'm actually watching, I have a, a game on my uh, tablet right now uh, where there's a replay going on. And just like in college football or the NFL, when there's a review of something that occurred or a penalty and the referee comes out and turns on his mic and, you know, over the PA system announces whatever the call was. Now they're doing that in Major League Baseball, too, with the umpires, which is great because we've had replay for the better part of a decade now almost. I think it's been since 2014, 2015. So we're coming up on a decade, and the one thing that was lacking is what is it specifically that one team is challenging and what is the actual call? You know, we know the safe sign and the sign, put a runner back to whatever base they were on before sign, but it's nice to have a, a – definitive, defined uh, 
you know, understanding of what was called so that there's no confusion. So it's nice to see that. Um, I think both things are nice. I think it's, it's a fan uh, improvement. I think it improves the, uh, the quality of the game. And, you know, one thing that baseball is also trying to do is really appeal to those who maybe aren't as interested in the sport. So maybe having a little bit of uh, audio on what's going on on the field and not listening to some of these, honestly, sometimes over-annoying broadcasters, maybe it's nice to have those players uh, do a little bit of it there. So what are your thoughts on it? I like it. I think the microphone on the players is actually a cool thing. I like it because you get a chance to get some behind the scenes. It's not really behind the scenes because you know your mic. You have to kind of be on your best behavior. But it's cool that you get a chance to hear on the field some of the discussions that goes on. You get more in-depth kind of awareness as to what the players are saying. So I think I really think it's kind of cool to anytime you can incorporate a fan experience with baseball on the field from a player's perspective, I think it's a really cool thing. So I I'm for it. I actually think it's a really cool thing. I do like how you mentioned also about the replays, how they announce what's going on. So you're not just getting from a fan perspective, dead air and looking around, figuring out what's going on. They're actually going to call it out there and say, the team is reviewing this and this is the dispute. So at least everybody knows what's going on. I like it in the NFL where I think they do a great job in the NFL of letting the fans know what's going on, letting them know what they're reviewing and go ahead and doing it. So this way you feel as if you're included in that delay, so to speak. So you're not out of the loop. You're not asking, you know, two or three people, Hey, what are they doing? What is going on? So I like both changes. Or guessing, yeah. 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 You're not guessing. It takes the guesswork out of it. It's clear as day what they're doing. You may not always agree with the call one way or the other, but at least you know what they're reviewing, what the call is. So I like both changes. I think anytime you can give kind of the fans a perspective that they normally wouldn't get, is always a great thing. And speaking of perspective, we have our good buddy Lou calling in. Let's go ahead and hear his thoughts. Let me bring Lou on, okay? Yes, Lou. How you doing? Thanks, fellas. All right. How you doing today? I assume you're... I assume you're talking about the um, U.S. rule, correct? <laughs> Say again? Not, not, not ready for the USFL just yet. So now we're referring uh, to the <laughs> we're referring to the the audio uh, for Major League Baseball and the umpires more more oh, or less at this well, point. You know, what they're able to do. In reference to what you're saying, you know, you know, I get the point you're saying how you when you hear what's going on, but at the same time you're mic'd up and everything can be heard. And that also includes being stuff that maybe you don't want your kids to hear, you know. So you got, you know, you got to draw a line somewhere like that, because uh, one little f bomb, you know, that can be heard everywhere. And the kids hear, it, oh boy. I mean, I, so I don't think I want my uh, eleven, my ten year old niece to hear, if you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that is dangerous. Uncensored. No, I agree with you, Lou. I, I agree. that That is one of the dangers of being mic'd up. I think the person who's being yeah. mic'd up is usually more conscious of that, so they watch their mm. tone and their language. But obviously, you're on a baseball field. Somebody who doesn't know that or in the heat of battle can let, you know, either an F-bomb or something else go. So that is the downfall is that <laughs> you do run the risk yeah. of somebody saying something inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah, it is something you got to be careful with. 
So would you rather have it on the players or you rather have it not have on the players? Um, you know, I think I would rather have it, but you do got to watch it. You know, I like to hear what's going on, you know, because I'm not an expert of lip reading, so I don't hear what's going on. But occasionally they do get they get carried away, and then there comes the uh, and then here comes the F bomb. That's true. Yep. And I gotta, you know, you gotta give, watch uh, that. I gotta give uh, one of our, I guess, not direct competitors, but I have to give John Boy credit. You know, he does a very good job of reading lips during his play play analysis. He's actually one of the best that I've seen at that. I don't know. If, what are your thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, he, he's yeah. very entertaining. Um, I guess you could say right, he translates a lot of. Yeah, <laughs> he, he does a good job of translating what's being said out there. Um, and really, he, he's he's one as Lou just said there a moment ago. He's one that you probably don't want your kids necessarily uh, hearing just because he doesn't really hold anything back. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is the danger of, of letting some people in the door. It's kind of like when you invite a friend over, you might want people to meet them, but you may not want them to meet all of them, so to speak. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a very, very well politely way, put, uh, way to put it there for sure, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, get the, otherwise, get the bleep button ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those, that's those the thing you got to remember. Get the, right. get the bleep button right. Because that's what I almost did on a, on a show a few weeks ago because, you know, I was I was uh, ticked off at a little incident. Well, something I had no control over, but still. Um, in, in related to baseball, because you know how uh, all the streaming services are popping up and they're uh, showing games on, on the streaming services and not, you know, the local the local broadcast stages or the, or the local cable outlets. And I got a little ticked off, and I was like, Ray, like, you know, start a rant. And like, you know, it was like, get, get, get the button ready. Because <laughs> I was like, I was, you know, I was, I was kind of offended by it. Like, how can you explain that, you know, all these uh, streaming services are popping up when most people can't even afford it? I mean, what are you trying to do? You're trying to kill this, you're trying to kill the game? You've already done that, you know, pretty good job of that. Now you make it even more, you know, unaccessible for us. Yeah, there's too many options out there, it seems like, now with, uh, with a lot of Well, stuff, because, like, you know, another five, ten years, it's going to go all streaming. And that's not going to be fair to us. Yeah, I mean, streaming has really taken over the last few years. I agree with you, Lou, because one a few years ago when I moved out here to – well, I wouldn't say a few years ago. A while ago when I moved out here to Florida, I was paying for DirecTV specifically so I could get the Yankee games, a lot of the Yankee games right. out of – region games. Well, I paid for the service, but just like you mentioned, I was getting a lot of other games. I mean, I get to see almost every other game, but the one that I really paid for to get against the Yankees was hard for me to get. It was it was very difficult. It was like I was paying extra. No, but even, even over here, they won't even even over here, even with a home team, you know, if they show it on Prime Video on a Friday night, guess what? No one else is allowed to have it. Yeah, not yet, not Channel to, 11, which, you know, I mean, this is the first time I'm thinking, you know, since the end of the dinosaur era, the Yankees don't have a, a broadcast home. You know, say 5, 9, 11, or whatever the case may be. You know, the first time in, you know, in that, in, you know, in my lifetime at least, but, you know, not since like the late 40s. 
and you're doing this now because, oh well, we got we have access to uh, Prime or um, whatever services. You know, that's not being fair to us. If I had a way to get it, I wouldn't have any problem. But right now, I don't. Yeah, Aaron, what are your thoughts on I that? A, I don't have a clue to get this. Yeah, I mean, uh, for where I'm at, and, and Alan, you're not terribly far from me. I think you're maybe about 30 minutes uh, from where I'm located, so you're Lucky in the you. same market. <laughs> uh, so you're mm-hmm. in the same market. So so I uh, made the decision about a year ago to cut cable altogether. Um, just it got too expensive, um, wasn't wasn't efficient, uh, wasn't I was paying more for lesser and lesser of what I wanted. So I went to a different um, service. I went to a streaming service. And for I've been doing this probably since 2005. I, I always have purchased MLB TV, which is nice because, you know, back in the day I could do it on my computer, my laptop. And then in the last 10 years or so, you were able to do it on your smartphone. I have it playing on a tablet right now. I have a game on presently. But if I wanted to watch a local game, if I wanted to watch Tampa play, I'm blacked out because I'm in the, the Tampa market. So I do see where you're talking from. about. Yeah, it's exactly what you're talking about there. Um, now, if I was in the middle of the country somewhere where there's no, you know, there's no team nearby, I'm not within like four hours of whatever team's plan, then I'd be able to pick up anybody. But, but yeah, I mean, that's the downside is, you know, even though I'm an Atlanta fan, I still want to see Tampa play every now mm-hmm. and then. You know, you, you, you aren't able to watch them because yeah. I don't have the ability to with the, the channels that I have on my service. And then, of course, with it being blacked out, so. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And and sometimes it works to your advantage, sometimes it doesn't. Like when the NFL season yeah. was on, you know, when they had Prime, because I, I, I've been a Prime member for some time now because of all of the great benefits Prime does give you. When they had the NFL games on Thursday night, it was great because I used to get a chance to see those games and it was no problem. However, yeah. not every single game Thursday night was on Prime Sometimes they would be on the NFL Network, and if you didn't pay extra for the NFL Network, you couldn't see the game. Yes. So sometimes it works to advantage, sometimes it doesn't. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's how you know programming is nowadays. Yeah, it is crazy how it, the intent is obviously for everyone to be able to watch, but if you're in that market then you're kind of out of uh, out of luck. And, you know, the NFL made a, a rule several years ago. I think it may have just been the Tampa market that did this, where, you know, obviously they're, they're going to black out the game locally if the game didn't sell out or I think it may be like 90% sold out. That's something new. That's something new. Well, what they did down here in Tampa is the, the Glazer family, I don't know, probably in the last 10 years, they actually would buy up the remaining tickets so that the games could be uh, played on TV. So that, that was nice for the, mm-hmm. the local area. Obviously, the team didn't do very well until just recently, so that, uh, you know. Now I, heard, now, I heard something that I don't know if this is true or not, but correct if I'm wrong. But if the local team is playing on a Thursday night, uh, the local area would get on some station, unlike in baseball and whatnot. I think, they're gonna, I think we're going to be spared that. So we won't be completely eliminated from Thursday night football. Yeah, I think it's like different the with the national play- broadcast, because you're, you're talking yeah. about, so, you know, Fox or CBS, they're going to cover, uh, you know, the Jets or Giants games um, locally there in New York. I, I mean, I'm talking about the Thursday one because that's, that's yeah. where Prime is taking over. So I heard, like, if the Giants or Jets play on Thursday, uh, 
somebody would would take would would put it on a local station here. Yep, that's that's correct. That's the way it's supposed to work. Just like Monday Night Football. Right. Monday Night Football. If you're even if you live in that same area, you should have access to the game because it's a national broadcast. Sunday Night Football would be included in that too. Well, that's NBC. You know, all the other, you know. Yeah, because yeah. unlike you know, unlike with um, you know, with 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 the baseball prime, uh, you know, they they just screw us over. Sorry, you can't watch the game tonight. Tough cookies. Uh, you call it fair? No. Yeah, that yeah, is that crazy is and dumb. It is tough. Yeah. When you time you want to yeah. see a game, you can't see it. Uh, I've been there. It's real tough. Talk about a foul ball. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay. Well, Switching gears here a little bit tonight, um, obviously yeah, right at the very beginning of the show. No, you're good. <laughs> um, NFL draft, and your Jets, uh, yeah. two picks uh, early on. Three picks. Three. three picks. Three, yeah, three picks early on. <laughs> um, how do you feel they did uh, here early on in the draft? Well, I'm kind of interested in the last pick we got. I mean, that was a good pick right there. Like I was saying earlier, you know, they're always trying to go, you know, for the full throttle, you know, uh, the, the top pick uh, in the draft and whatnot would be a quarterback or anything like that. They're forgetting what they go for, what they really need, not what they really want. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the big thing the about football. That's is a lot the problem. Of times, yeah, teams don't always draft the way they should. Uh, no. Some teams have a philosophy of drafting the best player available, uh, and then some obviously go for what they want. Some go for what they need, and it, it you kind of have to figure out a, a delicate balance between all three of those things usually. We have a word for that, of course. <laughs> Is it one we can say on the air? <laughs> you might want to go to the judge on this one, but I'll see if we can get away with it. The word is dumbass. <laughs> Perfectly acceptable. <laughs> I, can, I think we can probably, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> because that's basically what you're being, you know, by making a stupid move like that. You know, there's yeah. no why you don't win a title. So, I mean, look, you, this you, is not rocket science, people. Football is not rocket scientist. You know, some people think it is, but it really isn't. <laughs> Logistics, maybe, but rocket science, no. So if you were the person, a GM, who would you draft? What would you draft? Would you draft based on need, or would you draft based on best player available? No, need. No, no, no. I have to go for a need. Forget about the best player available, because every time he gets that looks on paper, does not translate onto the field. I know people are thinking I'm saying crazy about that, but it's the truth. That's the truth. I think it's situational, to be honest with you. I think it all oh. depends because, well, and sometimes all three of those things can be one player. You know, you go for the best player available, could be exactly what you need. Yeah, you know, just kind of all three kind of pop in and, and long line. Probably a rare thing to happen, but it can happen in yeah. some cases. Well, I always say, you know, you should go for what, you know, what you need the most. I mean, forget about, you know, trying to get the top draft pick because our our previous draft picks, what have they done for us? Nothing. Well, it's been a down yeah. organization for the last almost you know, years you, now. You know, so. what have you done for me lately? That's that's what it comes down to. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? <laughs> you know, you could have started making an ass myself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so anyway, on to better news. Uh, well, we don't have the... We don't actually have the official uh, seedings yet for the NHL players, which you get on Monday, thank God. But we do know, well, I know, that who we're going to play first against in the first round. 
me and the Rangers. They're going to play the Penguins. Nice. That'll okay. be a good matchup there. This time, I hope we can stay. This time, I hope we can stick stick a stick a goal right right up Malkin's. You know what? <laughs> Look, I don't want it to be 2009 all over again. Okay, when they beat us, you know, in in five games, and it was Malkin that hit the winning goal. I don't want to see that again. So this time, I'm looking to get even. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So it should be exciting. Should be a good series for sure. It should be. Um, you know, I, I mean, nothing else is written in stone yet. But as soon as everything is, you know, all written up, I'll have it. I'll have it down there. Oh, not again. <laughs> you know, because this is big now. Now we're now we're going in the playoffs. This is you know, do or die now. Yeah, that's right. Just about for every team in there, you gotta. It's now. It's it's big time. Let's see who does what during the playoffs. Yeah. And the great I mean, thing about you know, hockey playoffs is, uh, you know, every single series is best of seven, uh, which you know really is uh, well critical. Yeah. Of course, um, you know, going into July, I don't know if that's really the best time to play hockey and whatnot. So. You know, yeah, factoring that a little bit. Yeah, but it's like a what two and a half month playoff, um, and then really hockey season. You know, it's only over for you know you have basically part of July, August, September, and by October you're back to. You well, know, you start preseason in September, but yeah, remember exactly. that the season was the the season was um, took a back seat a little bit in like uh, late January, where they started getting COVID again, so they had to push back. Um, you know, a week or two, and that's why it's it's a bit later than it should be. Yeah, yeah, that that did. Uh, I forgot that that had taken a, a little bit of an impact on the season, but yeah, it's yeah, always interesting to see how things turn out because you know hockey is one of those things where, and if anybody watches the game of hockey, just watching one game, even one period of a game, how fast it goes and, you know, thinking about how. You're not going to believe how many sleepless nights I'm going to have over the next two months now. <laughs> no, it, it, it is, uh, I tell you what, you know, probably the toughest sport out there in my opinion, um, just with all the, the back and forth and, and, you know, most people think, well, you know, they're on, they're on ice. So it's nice and chilly and, you know, they're on skates, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of, uh, energy to be able to do that and continue to do that for 60 minutes so yeah yeah i mean because you know those over those those multiple overtime games oh boy they give me nerve-wracking you know a game starts at seven o'clock and sometimes it ends like you know after midnight i've seen some of those games like oh boy i gotta get some sleep Ugh. yeah those late games that's for sure yeah I can't imagine how the broadcast would feel. Oh, come on. I haven't, I haven't had a good love with my wife now in about a month and a half. Oh, oh more's the pity. Oh. Sorry, honey, but we can't, we can't make, we can't uh, make love tonight. I'm doing a game in triple overtime. Oh. It's my own personal joke, people. I mean, I can just imagine that from all, you know, I can imagine. Well, it's just, no, Gary Thomas not doing the game. Oh, that's a shame. Yes. Oh, oh no. Oh, <laughs> he, he shoots, he scores, but I don't. Oh, he is. 
Let me. Uh, well, let me all give I can you say is, uh, all I can say is, if you're a coffee drinker, you better put a lot of pots on coffee over the next eight weeks. You're gonna need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, I'll get yeah. my energy drinks. I'll need them. <laughs> yeah, coffee this time of year is definitely a very, very valuable thing for sure. Um, that or soda. Coffee's probably a little bit better for you, I guess, in that sense. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, same thing with the baseball playoffs this past year. I remember um, a couple of nights, you know, nail-biter games, and you're staying up, you know, two, three hours past your normal, you know, time to turn in. So uh, it's definitely yeah. understandable. And with hockey, it's basically you turn right around and, and, you know, have a day off in between, and then you're right back at it again. And, you know, obviously with the playoffs, if you're watching all the games, you're watching one almost every single night. So it's almost a never-ending thing. Well, no, but, you know, baseball is different because you only get one day off in between series. Where hockey, you get one team up in, you know, in between in between the games of the series. I mean, that's why it even goes a little bit longer, you know, because you don't play the back-to-back games uh, most of the time, even in the playoffs. You know, that's why it takes so mm-hmm. long. Yeah. And of course, every series going four of seven, you know, and it takes about two weeks to get done if you go all seven games. But of course, by that time. Uh, you know, I think the team that wins it, they go seven games. I think they run out of gas in the next round. You can call me crazy and all you want, but that's the way I look at it. They just run out of gas by then. Yeah. And yep, can't carry right. all the way through. And some breaking news, the it's been announced that Tampa Bay Lighting will face against the Toronto Maple Leafs in round one. Forget it. Forget it. Forget it for who? Forget it for Tampa. Have you seen what Austin Matthews has done this season? Well, they may – hey, they just went to the White House recently, and they might have gained some extra motivation. I mean, literally, they just went to the White House, what, a few days ago? Yeah, it was pretty recently, and, and obviously back-to-back. Come on, uh, 60, 60 goals in a season. We haven't seen that in, in a dog's age. Yeah, we'll see. It should be a good, should be a very good series for sure. Two, uh, two really solid uh, organizations. So, uh, my money's on Tampa. I, I think you know, being the back-to-back defending. I don't know. I, th- I think this is. I think. I think it's a Leaf series. Well, we'll see. We'll know a little bit more here um, before too long. Unless, so. if, unless if Matthews gets hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you yeah. got? I mean, he's. Show, been... uh, Oh, sorry. Good. <laughs> we're gonna co- we're gonna cover the playoff seedings. You know we're gonna be talking the draft. Uh, I can't devote the whole show to the draft, but we will cover at least the first round. Uh, NBA playoffs. Um, we're gonna talk about the other league, of course. It's supposed to be now become the foremost draft letters in the alphabet, and we'll of course talk about some uh, Major League Baseball. We'll have our usual features: the uh, ridiculous, uh, ridiculous. I am the week, uh, the feel good story of the week, and of course it's that time of the month where we discuss the best and worst of the month. And if you guys have been paying attention to the show the last couple of weeks, I think you can get a good idea of what the best of the month was and what the worst of the month was. I think you guys can get a clue. So <laughs> if you got time between five and seven tomorrow at East Coast time now, by the way, keep that in mind. The number to call is five one two. Five four three four six six two. Please don't forget the two sixes in the middle because a lot of you do. 
Once again, that's 512-543-4662. Do not look for the show, though, on Blog Talk Radio, okay? That's where some of you are getting mixed up, too. Do not look for it on Blog Talk Radio. I am on the dial pad service, formerly the Uber service. And, you know, just, just call the number. Um, if you want if, if you want to say something, I'll bring it in. If you just want to listen, that's fine, too. But just don't look for it on, on Blog Talk Radio. I, Although I do appear on Blog Talk Radio, uh, frequently, I do not host a show on Blog Talk Radio. Well, not the moment. Right. Got you there. All right. Forget that because they because they look for it. Hey, his show's on here on, on that site, dummy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's Does right. Sure read right anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Make sure you support Lou five to seven Eastern Standard Time Zone, the Enhanced Sports Show. And again, the phone number is five one two. Five four three four six six two, and it's five one two five four three four six six two. Support. And Luke. also remember that the phone call costs you absolutely nothing at all with the toll free number, and it's national. There you go. Perfect. Nothing be free. A lot of people forget that. <laughs> they think, right. hey, where am I? Where am I calling this from? Where am I calling this from? Uh, Cucamonga or something? Yeah, boy. Um, <laughs> my show is based in Jersey, but it's a national number that's based in. in uh, actually, the headquarters are in Pittsburgh, but for some reason, I got a Texas uh, area code for some reason. I don't know why. I wonder if my brother's anything to do with this. No, no. So, <laughs> well, he lived in Texas for a while. So, I don't know where we get that from. That's just a number that's used for the show. Um, but I do a show from here in New Jersey, and we can reach pretty much all over the country, except maybe Alaska and Hawaii. There you go. Perfect. I don't know why we don't reach Alaska and Hawaii, but for as far as I know, we don't. Yes, I'll make sure that people call in tomorrow. Yeah. And don't forget, next week, too, because next week, it's a salute to mom. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is Mother's Day weekend always, next weekend. That's a, that's a good point there. That's so. what I mean. Yeah, it's for my, yeah, it's for my mother, you know? <laughs> yeah, you can't forget me mother. That's right. Can't forget Mama. That's an that's an old skit, guys. I'll I'll explain it another time. Sounds like a, a, a Seinfeld uh, Seinfeld episode right there. If I'm not no, mistaken. no, it's actually huh? from a, no, it's actually it's actually from a Sesame Street skit from 1969, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Dating ourselves yeah. back a little it's further there. Describing so. letter, describing <laughs> letter M, like, describing <laughs> letter K. Like, tell me, do you know what hops around that be murdered? No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You ever see me murder? Oh, boy. <laughs> you're describing a kangaroo, and a guy gets it. I'm like, how do you explain it to a four-year-old, though? <laughs> he murder. <laughs> yeah. My girlfriend gets the joke, though. Thank God. Uh, Yo. <laughs> All right. That's I don't perfect. Think she's so. on, I don't think she's ever been on this show, though. <laughs> as far as I know, she's never been on here. All right. Well, if you got time tomorrow, guys, uh, call in because it should be a very interesting show. Yeah, that's good. And May is going to be busy on the and May and I thought April is going to be busy. May is going to be busy month on the sports calendar too. Oh boy. Yeah, looking forward to it. It should be a great month. Yeah, I mean, April, and... April was busy, and uh, May I think is going to be just as busy. You got it. Because I'm all because I also now do what is known as a feature, a small feature called calendar of the you know. The calendar of events. Each month I discuss, when the beginning of each month happens, I tell them, you know, what major events are happening over a particular month and, uh, you know, to 
help ease everybody through it. There we go. All right. <laughs> You'll get the picture. Yeah. All right, guys. Hope to hear from you. Good night. All right. Everybody get out of here. Lou, thank thanks you for so joining much. us. You have a great evening. All right. So that's Lou. We appreciate him calling in. Definitely great thing that I always hear from Lou, one of our frequent callers. We appreciate Lou to, tremendously. So definitely before we shift gears into the NFL draft and the trades, on a more serious topic, we wanted to go ahead and talk about Trevor Bauer and his situation. I'll give you a chance, Aaron, to go first. You give your side, and I'll gladly give my side. Yeah, I'm a little puzzled by the whole situation. Um, you know, I know he's a little bit outspoken on, on certain things. I know he's very critical of of, uh, of Rob Manfred, which, you know, I, I tend to agree with him on some of the, the things on Manfred. I don't, I don't particularly care for him as a commissioner of Major League Baseball. That's things they're hearing there. Um, if you date this back to, I believe it was July of last year, he's been on, uh, Bauer that is, has been on uh, administrative leave, and they kept extending it for two-week increments basically since then up until probably a week ago. They had basically put him on paid leave. I believe it was paid leave again. And then today, um, just out of the blue, uh, he gets suspended for two years. And, you know, I don't know all the facts of the story. I think there's some stuff that we probably all don't know that maybe is, you know, behind closed doors kind of thing. But it's to me that personal opinion is the commissioner probably overstepped his bounds. I don't think that the, the union is going to allow this to, to stand up. I'm pretty sure they're going to, you know, appeal, um, you know, to the best that they can. I'm not sure how that process actually works, but I'm sure it'll probably end up getting reduced to some degree. But um, as far as like, you know, someone who hasn't been convicted of a crime, obviously there's been all kinds of allegations and things of that nature. Uh, just to me seems a little bizarre how this has all gone down. Um, you know, the timeline almost, you know, what, nine, 10 months of, of this going on. So to me, it's just puzzling. That, that, that's where I was coming from on the whole thing, because we've, we've really not heard much more about what actually happened. We've just continued to hear for the last six months, you know, continuing to extend the leave that he's on. So what are your thoughts on it? I, I You know what? I I checked into this this story. I didn't take hearsay. I read a few, quite a few articles about it. And I would have to say that I do believe MLB is correct. And what I mean by that is let me read to you the the policy, which was instituted in 2015. Let me read that statement first. The MLB's policy on domestic violence, sexual abuse, and child abuse says players may face disciplinary action for just cause by the commissioner for a violation of this policy in the absence of a conviction or plea of a guilty to a crime involving a covered act. The acts covered under the league's sexual assault policy are defined as a range of behaviors, including a comp completed non-consensual sexual act, an attempted non-consensual sex act, or a non-consensual sexual contact. After researching it, you know, I'm a Libra. Libras have a scale of being fair. After doing my investigation, I have no personal vendetta against Trevor Bauer. I would have to say he does have just cause in this case. 
I mean, you have the these are the facts. You have two women, one from Ohio, one from California. Both of them basically said the same thing. Yes, I agreed to consensual sex with Trevor, but I did not agree to basically the physical abuse that I got during having sex with Trevor. They both basically said that he was roughed them up. I'm putting it nicely, roughed them up. Both women said that. Then I looked at the pictures, and then it goes even further. If you look at the text that he sent, he sent very demonstrative, threatening text that if you go public, I will basically kill you. And he did say in the text that I, I won't actually do it, but he he did cross the line. And when I look at a case, did you commit abuse? And I would say he did based on the facts of the case. So in this case, all you need to have is just cause. Not It's kind of like a civil case versus a court case. You just need to have just cause. I do believe they had just cause. The reason why this thing took so long is because Major League Baseball did do an investigation before they leveled him a penalty. I'm going to go even a step further than this and say this, that by actually, by Trevor Bauer, go ahead and appealing this, he's actually going to miss more games as if, as if he, if he just accepted the penalty and said, you know what, I don't agree with the decision, but I'm going to accept it because I'm going to get less time by accepting it than go ahead and appealing it. What I mean by that, so that our listening audience can understand is, had he accepted this, this uh, 324 games, he would have gotten credit for what amounts to 100 games, 81 games for the administrative leave, which he got paid for. He got paid for during the administrative leave, plus the 18 games this year, which today would make 19. So it almost it's exactly 100 games. You got to, so the 324 would have been reduced to 224 right off the bat had he not appealed his suspension, which means that between now and the end of the year, he would miss another 144 games. And that lowers his, his suspension down to about 80 games of next year. So in the midpoint of next year, he'd be back. By him appealing this, he loses all of those days he already served, and it starts today. And not only that, he has to go through the appeal process, which could take, you know, three, four, five, six months. And at best case scenario, if he does win, and let's say they reduce it from 324 games down to, let's say, 50 or 60 games, which I think that's more – likelihood they'll reduce it i don't think he's going to get off but i think he he could possibly get like an a-rod deal and get it reduced but by him missing 250 or 60 games at that point he's actually going to miss more time by him appealing it so i do think there is some guilt here with trevor i'm going to go on record and saying that i do think he crossed the line and i do think he has just cause i do think to to kind of disagree with you a little bit with my, Rob Manfred's penalty of 324 games, I think that's actually kind of smart in a way. In a way, the reason why I say that is because even if they do reduce the suspension, he's still going to be serving well over 200 games. So I think this is a good look for Trevor, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think the penalty is just. What are your thoughts? Well, and to go um, to go back to kind of some of the stuff you mentioned there, um, Earlier in the show, we were talking about how umpires have 
the microphones where they kind of do like a NFL ref or college football ref would do. So to me, the, the thing that's most puzzling is they levied this suspension, but they didn't really give a lot of details as to why or how they came to that conclusion. There was not really much of a statement after that, unless something's come out since the announcement earlier this afternoon that I'm not aware of. When I looked at it, it was basically just, hey, we're suspending him for, for 324 games, basically two seasons worth of baseball. And that was pretty much it. There was nothing else attached to the initial announcement. So that's, that's where some of my confusion comes in. Now, if we're playing this, and, and you read off some of the things that are in that personal conduct um, policy, really well uh, garnered that we need to have that, not just in baseball, but in pretty much every sport. I'm going to use this as an example, though. Um, last year, you had uh, Marcelo Zuna, who's with the Atlanta Braves, uh, he got arrested in, I believe it was May. He had just been put on the injured list, and about a week later, he got arrested for domestic violence. And it was actually witnessed by officers who were showing up to the scene, and he got suspended for the rest of the year. So I guess where my confusion comes in is the arbitrary amount of time that suspension goes for, because you had Ozuna, who got arrested. He actually got arrested. He actually, ha- he actually went to legal court over what happened with him almost a year ago. And in Bauer's case, to my knowledge, again, none of that's ever happened with him. So what I, I guess there's, to me, there's some, there's some undefined things in how they came up with these different lengths of suspension. Because you look at uh, Ozuna, again, May of last year, I think it was mid-May of last year when all this went down for him, he's in the lineup playing now. So, you know, because the legal case was dropped, you know, again, you had more physical evidence and what happened with him a year ago than you do with Trevor Bauer. Um, I, I just, to me, it seems a little bit that there's no well-defined, you know, and I get it. Obviously every case is different. It just seems like there's something a little bit uh, amiss here in my opinion. That, that's, that's really where I'm coming from. I'm not saying that he did or didn't do these things or, or what have you. I'm just saying that it seems like if we're going to have a, a, conduct policy where we're punishing people for whatever offense they committed, there needs to be some uniformity to the length of time that somebody goes through a suspension for. That, that's really all I'm probably, uh, more or less trying to point out here. No, I agree with that. And, and, and I think Major League Baseball did the right thing by not giving specifics as to Trevor Bauer, their investigation. I think that was good that they didn't release that. But I do think they should have had a little bit more clarity in why he got so many games. Not to say that it was wrong or right, but they should have gave an outline as to why 324 games. Now, um, one thing about, about this appeal process, Trevor is actually going to be unprecedented because he's going to be the first player to appeal underneath this particular conduct policy, his, his suspension. Everybody else, that was accused basically accepted the suspension and it could have been partly because what I talked about earlier, you get credit for the time served. He's on administrative leave up until today. He basically got paid for, for basically a hundred games for not pitching, but starting today, the 324 games go into effect and starting today, he doesn't get paid. So that's the biggest difference. He was getting no. I will say this, too. Now, this is, this is a different angle to look at it from, and I didn't mind this in the playoffs last year either. He pitches for the Dodgers, or he did pitch for the Dodgers, I should say. Um, you know, 
the last two years, Atlanta and L.A. have gone head-to-head in the playoffs. So if he's not there pitching for the Dodgers, he's a difference maker, in my opinion. I'm not saying that the Dodgers would have won that series last year had he been there, but it certainly would have been a lot harder than it was. Um, so, you know, not the way that I'd want somebody to not be playing, but, you know, it, it, I can see the advantages to the other teams in the, in the same division. And you think about it this way, too. The Dodgers won 106 games last year and finished in second place. That's the most in Major League history of a team winning games and not ending up winning their division. So you got to think that had he had he played the entire season last year, had he pitched five more games than he did, the Dodgers probably win that division by five or six games. They probably win 115 games last year. So um, those things do matter. And I think you know, from again from a playoff perspective, if I'm a team who's going to face the Dodgers in the playoffs, and let's face it, the Dodgers are going to be there. It's almost a guarantee they're going to be in the playoffs almost every year at this point. Um, if you have an ace like him who's not playing, that's one less really good arm that you have to worry about running into. No, absolutely. I mean, to your point, I, I agree. When you are playing a team that's as well-stacked as the Dodgers, even one pitcher not playing for whatever reason, your team has an advantage. Not to say you're going to win the series, but it's one less massive headache you have to deal with. So this doesn't help Trevor. It doesn't help the Dodgers as far as their team is concerned. And, you know, one of the things I I definitely wanted to mention to our listeners, to athletes, is this. When you are in a profession where – your profession matters as far as, let's say, if you're a police officer or you're a fireman or you're a, a person in the community, when you break that trust or you cross the line, so to speak, you're going to be held accountable more so than somebody who's committing crimes all the time and nobody knows who they are, and they're not working in the same field as you. With this personal conduct policy in place, it's just like the NFL. You don't have to be guilty, so to speak where you've got a smoking gun, you just need probable cause, and you could be susceptible to this type of suspension without pay or administrative leave. I mean, he got administrative leave, which is actually a benefit for him because he got paid during the time left. But if you get suspended like this, you're suspended, and you don't get paid. And now 324 games, even if that gets reduced, which I I doubt it's going to be reduced, but I would say the Probably, I wouldn't even say the best-case scenario for him because had he accepted this penalty, it probably would have been the best-case scenario because he got 100 games right off the bat taken off. I'm served. But the fact that he's appealing it, it resets the clock. So what I wanted to bring to our listeners is this. When you are in a profession, because this has actually happened to a couple of people I know, that, yes, sometimes it's not fair meaning the penalty you're facing is more severe than somebody else who nobody knows who they are or a lifetime criminal who doesn't have that same position as you, they may not get, they might get a slap on the wrist, whereas you're going to have to pay the penalty of losing your job, losing credibility. The fall is going to be a lot harder. And the reason why is because you are in a position, a higher position of loss. So when it comes to Trevor, what I will say is this much is this. Looking at his case, there was some red flags there that he had an opportunity to kind of like stop this behavior and he did not. And this is the reason why he's in the position where he's at. 
So let me let me ask you this then. So in, in comparison, and there's probably some similarities, and there's probably some great differences too. Let's look at the same thing that happened with Deshaun Watson. Now he missed all of 2021, but to my recollection, he was not actually suspended by the league. Am I correct or incorrect on that? Right. He he wasn't suspended by the league through the conduct policy. He was still still doing some investigation. His situation was a little different because a lot of the girls eventually, you know, they just basically didn't want to cooperate and it got kind of complicated with Deshaun's case. With Trevor's case, it's different because two women that he did have consensual, again, it was consensual. Both women agreed it was consensual, but they both said, hey, he got very rough with me. He was beating me up, choking me. I I didn't agree to that. And that's where he crossed the line. And one of the girls had to go to the emergency room. And then it got worse that, you know, he started basically sending threatening texts, and then he got to get a restraining order. And basically, it was the same behavior in the women in California and in women in Ohio, the same pattern of behavior. It really didn't change. So basically, so that was the have, part that probably – and, and again, that's, that's what kind of goes back in my mind to Major League Baseball not saying the specific – part that they were suspending him for, they would clear up a lot of confusion here. So it sounds to me, and I'm just speculating here, of course, which is what we do on the show a lot, that that may be the main quote-unquote smoking gun that led to the length of time. And if I may just throw this out there, two people, two seasons. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, that's one aspect that I think the league could have actually expanded a little bit more on why 324 games. You know, they could have answered that part without giving the details of the specifics of the case. They could have said, well, in his case, there was two aggregations, two allegations, two different women. We both felt as if they were credible enough that we gave a suspension for one year for each case. That would have made a lot more sense just to kind of clear that question up. But the best case, not even the best case scenario, but at this situation and juncture where Trevor is at that because he's he's basically going to appeal this, he might get an A-Rod treatment where it went down from 211 games to 160 games. So he, he basically cut off by 50 or 60 games. If they did the same thing for Trevor, he's still going to miss more time than if he would have accepted this penalty. I looked into that too. Like, Wow, if he if he if he if he's lucky and gets it cut reduced by fifty or sixty games, he's going to miss more time by him appealing this. Which begs the question that, in your opinion, well, I'm going to ask you your this question, Aaron. If you were him, which option would you have taken? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer, honestly. Um, I mean, I, I think that what he probably will try to appeal to is time served already. Um, I think that is that is within the right of the players' union to appeal. So it's a very good chance that whatever he missed – I know you said the number of games from last year. Whatever number of games he missed from last year, he may try to have that included in whatever appeal he, he does go through, um, which to me it would seem like that would make sense to some degree. I mean, I, I, I can promise you this. The union isn't going to stand by and let this go to the degree that it's at right now. I, I I would be unshocked altogether if this was reduced somewhat dramatically, 25%, maybe 30% from what it is now. Um, 
how quickly that happens. I don't think it'll be six months. I think it'll be probably early part of summer um, because they don't want this to drag on forever. Um, and the union, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating here again. Like we do a lot of that on the show. That's what we're good at. I, I would not be shocked if there's something in the new CBA that was signed here a few months ago that addresses that specifically the length of time that a, a PDF can go on for. They can't drag it out for, for an extended period of time because then that puts the league culpable with standing in the way of a player being able to play. So um, this will be one to follow. I mean, we're, we're going to hear more about this, I'm sure, over the next, you know, two, three months, maybe uh, into the all-star break of this summer. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it will be. I'm definitely, we're going to keep you up to date on what's going on. And, you know, definitely I, I pray for the victims involved. I pray for Trevor that if, if, one thing that I would have to say is that this is a good opportunity for him to do some soul searching and say, hey, could I have handled myself in a situation where I'm not into this, where I'm not involved in transfer, in where I'm not implanted into this controversy? Because whether he wins this appeal or not, or wins part of it, in public opinion, his, his reputation has really taken a bad, bad hit. Yeah. And if you are a person who's making millions of dollars and you're at the top, meaning like you're in a position where most people are not, the fall is always going to be harder if you get caught up into this. So that's another lesson for some of the guys and women and men that are listening to the show that be careful who you go to bed with. I mean, you know, and make sure that consensual is fully consensual as to whatever your actions are, that your partner is, okay with it and if you do maybe cross the line maybe apologize and diffuse the situation but definitely that's not what happened in this case and i just say that i just i pray for trevor that he finds the help that he needs and i hope that the the women involved in this situation also find healing too yeah absolutely it's kind of a Really crazy story, obviously, uh, something that we don't hear about um, all the time, and thankfully that's the case. Uh, this is one that really kind of got out there and got really strange in a hurry. So um, kind of going back and forth here on our, our topics of discussion tonight, obviously the draft is still going on. And the one thing I meant to mention when Lou is on the line, this is one of the strangest drafts in recent memory in my mind just because, you know, Football is built around typically the quarterback, and there was only one quarterback taken in the first round, uh, which is, I think, the fewest maybe ever. I'm not 100% on that, but um, what are your thoughts on there only being one quarterback taken in the first round last night? It was surprising. This was one of the more shocking drafts that I've actually witnessed because usually you get a quarterback, as you mentioned, of two or three easily taken, at least three or four taken in the first round, and then you get a situation where you get a couple of top quarterback picks. But at the first round, we were talking about the A.J. Brown trade, which we'll talk about a bit later, and also the fact that the Bucks traded their first-round pick. So it was very interesting that only one quarterback got taken. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of guys were okay with going with a second or, or third-round pick which meant that they were not too sold on the first-round picks this year. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, I want to say there's a lot of gaps in some of the, the depth at certain positions. seems like it was more of a defensive draft early on and, and uh, some offensive linemen thrown in there as well. Um, but the only quarterback taken in the first round by the Pittsburgh Steelers was Kenny Pickett from the Pittsburgh Panthers. So he'll basically stay in the same town, which is nice for him. You know, I mean, he's used to playing in that same stadium. The fans are pretty much the same people who root for the Panthers that root for the Steelers. So really great fit, too. I really thought all along he was probably the best quarterback in this draft. I know there's some other ones that are in there, too. And I was just kind of glancing at the the draft chart um, here a few moments ago. I see Atlanta took uh, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. That should be a pretty good uh, you know, pretty good place for him to go because, obviously, they got Marcus Mariota there now. But Atlanta has some wide receivers that – if you just put the ball within five yards of them, they're going to catch it. So now you've got a, a complete team, or at least the, the makings of a complete team down the line, and that should be good to get them back into you know, being competitive again. And there's still some good quarterbacks out there too. You've got uh, uh, Matt Coral, who hasn't been drafted yet to my knowledge. Um, Sam Howell from, I believe, North Carolina. He's still, still in there. So you know, sometimes you find value in the third and fourth round. Not everybody's a first-round pick. Um, Tom Brady, obviously, sixth-round pick. You look at uh, Russell Wilson was a third-round pick uh, you know, years ago. So occasionally you can find a diamond in the rough, and that's kind of what they're aiming for, And I guess, in some of these players. Yeah, and exactly right. To your point, you know, it, it, sometimes it's better when you're not the first-round pick. Uh, and the reason why is because you, you have all that spotlight and that pressure on you. When you're not the first-round pick, you're lower down the pick, you can actually play at ease because you know that not all eyeballs are on you, not all expectations are on you. Sometimes people do better when they fly underneath the radar. And the perfect example is, you know, Tom Brady is a great example, but you also had some, some high-profile number one picks. You know, like, you know, my guy Reggie Bush, you know, he, he was a first-round draft pick, and, you know, he ended up being a good player, but not definitely the guy that we saw in USC you know, that's for, to, to be nice in the NFL. You saw a flash of greatness of him, but not enough that you would expect for a first-round pick. Then there has been some really outstanding first-round picks. Look at the Bucks, Mike Evans. You know, that was a great first-round pick. So sometimes it's, it works out great. Sometimes it's Yeah, it is, and I, I think that there are more examples um, of players that were busts first round. I mean, you look uh, back to Ryan Leaf. Um, you look at uh, <laughs> Cle- Cle- Cleveland. Uh, obviously, has a, a whole roster of quarterbacks they've drafted in over the years that turned out to be busts. Um, you had Jamarcus Russell, who was uh, number one overall pick out of uh, LSU. He went to the Raiders back, I think it was 2007, and he just never. I think a little bit of it probably was uh, he just let himself get out of shape and was a little bit lucky for part of it, but he he just never panned out in the NFL. And I think sometimes, you know, part of it too, I think is if you're in a good environment, you know, I think some of those quarterbacks that went to to Cleveland, had they been in a better environment, they might've panned out better. I've always argued for Ryan Leaf. It wasn't his talent that hurt him. It wasn't, he was not a talented player it was he had an attitude and he just he let things around him really bring him down and keep him from being the player he could have been so 
Um, and then, like you said, you know, you've had players that, you know, were drafted later in the in the draft that ended up being superstars. And let's go back and look at a couple of just famous players over the years. A little further back in the era, we were just talking about, you know, Joe Montana, who is probably my all-time favorite quarterback still. He was a third-round pick out of Notre Dame in the 70s. So one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play, Tom Brady, we talked about him before too, you know, seven Super Bowl titles, sixth-round pick, 200, 199 players were picked before him. So, um, you know, occasionally you can find that, you know, that talent later on in the draft. you got to be really, really good and keep your eyes open for it, though. Yes, exactly. And to your point, you know, the, the, the people who I think are the biggest busts in NFL drafts have to be, number one would be Ryan Leaf, and number two would be Jamarcus Russell. I just think those two were the, just total tobaccos with drafts. I mean, and and to players who are working out hard to beat a number one draft pick, that's great that you get that clout and you maybe make the first round or second or third round pick. But understand this, when you sign and you go to a team, your career starts. So whatever you did in your collegiate career, you got to turn the page and you got to look for new success. I think a lot of times guys, they, they, they do great in college and they get this, you know, their head gets big. They get this first-round draft pick. You walk on the stage. Everybody says you're the man. You start believing the hype, and you start forgetting that you have to work hard at this point because, yes, you made it in college, but now it's a new career. It's a new beginning. You, you're going to be playing against guys who you're not going to outrun almost everybody in the league. That's just how it is. And very, I mean, unless you're the cheater or something, but very small are gonna you're going to outrun. And – you just got to be hungry. You got to have the right attitude. You got to look at it like, hey, you know what? This is a new beginning for me. I'm going to do what it takes to get better. I'm going to listen to my coaches. And to your point, I don't, I don't think Ryan Leaf didn't have the physical attributes to be a very good quarterback. I think he actually had all the physical attributes to be a very good quarterback, but I think he had immaturity. He didn't have a good and, head. He didn't have a good head on his shoulder. Uh, that, that's yeah, that's he, really what it was. Yeah. The immaturity was just out the roof, and I, yeah. that was the thing. He's very immature. Yeah, and there's a, couple, a few other guys that have fallen into that same – kind of that same category. I, I would make the argument that Johnny Manziel was the same way. Johnny Manziel was probably the ultimate narcissist in terms of quarterbacks. He bought into his own hype. You know, he was the second quarterback, second player to uh, be an underclassman and win a – Heisman, in fact, he, was he a freshman or was he a uh, sophomore when he won his Heisman? I, I can't remember which of the two, but, you know, he, he probably came out of college too early. I think that probably hurt him a little bit. But then believing his own, I mean, it really went straight down the toilet right away for him. And, you know, also being drafted by the Cleveland Browns, I mean, at that time they were still a pretty bad organization for the most part. Had he been drafted by somebody such as, you know, not that New England needed a quarterback at the time, but had he been drafted in a place that would have cultivated him better, they may have been able to kind of have him lose the ego a little bit. But he, you know, as soon as he got drafted and had all that money, it just was right straight down, you know, straight downhill for him. Yeah, and and that's a great point, Darren. That you know, one of the things that a lot, I hope a lot of people understand is this that 
there is also maturity and something also has to be said. Having no success, you're always working hard to get success. But handling success is just as important, if not even more important, than not having any success and you're working hard to get it. When you have success, you have to be able to handle it. And that comes part of the price, that you have to be able to keep your head, stay humble, stay hungry, and understand that, hey, if I don't perform at my highest level, all of these nice things that people are going to say, they're going to start to dissipate. And they're going to say, you know what, this guy's really not who we thought he was. You got to keep working hard, whether you're a high draft pick or not. You got to stay hungry. And like Tom Brady said, it doesn't matter if you're drafted 199 or you drafted first. What's going to matter is what you start doing on the field. Yeah, every time. And they'll, they'll you know, you look at some of these first-round picks that are, are bust, you know, how quickly they get cut. Um, that's a perfect example with what he had to say there. So, so that's it. I mean, the NFL draft is uh, in full full force right now. There's, uh, I think we're in round three, if I'm not mistaken. Let me take a look here. Yeah, we're about midway through, almost about two thirds of the way through the third round. And of course, uh, as you get into the later rounds, the time between picks is a lot shorter. So, um, kind of keep an eye on that here. And the draft will conclude, I believe it's tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow evening. So, uh, always fun to watch uh, the draft. Uh, Again, a lot different than we've been seeing in the past as far as, uh, you know, the way that players were picked this year. Um, probably my biggest surprise, what I said before, is that there's just one quarterback uh, taken in the first round. And to my calculations here, there's only been two quarterbacks taken so far in the first 83 picks. So that tells you that the game is changing quite a bit in the National Football League. It is. You know, it's, it's definitely a defensive-minded they're becoming, they're looking at that as a priority. And if you're a quarterback, being that they've been burnt so many times, now it's like, okay, we'll try to maybe trade for one who's established rather than draft one. And that's not a bad idea, too. I did want to give the Eagles props. I thought that was a very aggressive and very smart move to go ahead and get A.J. Brown to give up the pick. They, they gave up their pick and made a trade for A.J. Brown, which – Definitely, I think, is advantage to the Eagles. Now you're going to have a situation where the Eagles are going to have another threat, and I think the Titans just didn't want to pay them. So it worked out great for A.J. Brown. Yeah, no, that was a good uh, good move there. And i, I got to be honest, too, the, the teams that I think did the best are actually some of the teams at the top of the draft. Um I don't think Jacksonville is going to be at the number one spot again next year. I think that they've made significant enough um, improvements that I see them being a seven or eight win team this coming season. And by next year, this time, they should be talking about being a, a playoff team. They, they uh, really did a terrific job. I, I like that they brought in an experienced former Super Bowl winning head coach, someone who's had that experience, knows how to put a team together, knows how to, you know, get it done. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, Jacksonville, I saw a stat pop up on the screen last night when I was watching the NFL Network. They've lost 10 games or more. It's either nine of the last 10 years or 10 of the last 11 years. So this is a team that's really done a poor job as far as on the field performance. So it's nice to see them turning that page and, you know, 
We thought a year ago with Urban Meyer things were going to work out. Obviously, it quickly went straight down the toilet on that. Um, so now they bring yeah. in Doug Peterson. Again, you know, he won a Super Bowl just five years ago with the Eagles. He knows how to coach quarterbacks. This is a guy who's off Andy Reid's uh, coaching tree. I would not be shocked to see Jacksonville be in a really good spot here within the next two or three years. And, you know, you date back to when Jacksonville had a lot of success in the late 90s with Mark Brunel, uh, with Tom Coughlin as head coach. I think it'd be nice to see them get back to that same kind of level that they had uh, 20 plus years ago. No, I agree. I think they're doing a great job. I think ownership has learned from these experiences that they had, and I think they're making the right adjustments. I definitely do think I can see them winning seven, eight games this year, actually being a pretty good middle-of-the-road team, and then the following year making a, a very strong case to get back in the playoffs. So Jacksonville is, is making right moves, and I think, I, think I, I, I think they're on the right track. Absolutely. And I want to uh, interject something here real quickly. Give me just a moment. All right. Some breaking news just came across here. The New York Mets have pitched a combined no-hitter here tonight against the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Just popped in here a moment ago. Um, Five pitchers from the New York Mets have combined to throw, I believe this is just the second or third no-hitter in Mets history. Um, that's just pretty cool to see that happen while we're on the air here tonight. So uh, it is. Congratulations, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely, Very definitely. Good. Congrats to the to the Mets. And let me yeah. pull up the. Uh, <laughs> let me pull up the box score here, so we can talk about a little bit uh, more in depth that game. Mets improved to fifteen and six on the year. They're off to a great start, which is what I think a lot of people expected them to do with Buck Showalter, now their manager. So it looks like, uh, let's see here. So Miguel started the game. That was his fourth win of the season. And then uh, he went five innings and four uh, separate relievers combined for four innings with, uh, looks like, of course, no hits. And just two walks uh, from, I'm sorry, three walks from their relief core, and then uh, Miguel had three walks in the game. So a total of six walks by the Mets pitching, but the big important stat was they gave up no runs and, even more importantly, no hits, um, getting the first no-hitter uh, of the season here tonight. So congrats to the Mets on the big accomplishment there. That's definitely something that's uh, to be celebrated for sure. Absolutely, and they're off, as you mentioned, to a hot start. They're leading the division. They're up by three games in the division now, and fifth. 15 wins, six losses, a fantastic start. So great job to the Mets. You know, they're doing their thing. And, you know, it's a long season, but definitely you like you like to figure out, get off to a great start. And so kudos to the Mets. I did want, since we're talking about baseball, I did want to ask the question, are the Yankees fans truly the worst after throwing debris on the field in a win? Well, I would say this much, that definitely two parts to this. If a player gets injured, you should not celebrate that. If you're an opposing team, you you can be passionate about your team, but if somebody runs into the wall or they get hurt, you shouldn't celebrate or chastise that. You know, that's just ethics of sports. Somebody gets hurt, you shouldn't celebrate it, Okay. Even if it's to your advantage, 
because the person can't play, you shouldn't celebrate it. And that's where it started. You know, one of the players ran into the wall. He got hurt. Fans were celebrating that. They got upset about that. Next thing you know, the the Yankees end up winning, and you're throwing debris on the field. To me, I don't think the Yankee fans are the worst in the league, but I think the fans that were there at that game were the worst fans in the league during that time. That is, to me, Bush League. You shouldn't be throwing debris on the field. Unacceptable. And I think that if you do get caught, you should be banned from games because you could throw something on the field, somebody could get hurt, somebody get injured. It's dangerous. It's not part of the game. You won the game on top of it, so it shows that you have no class. And I just think sometimes fans need to be banned from games to learn a lesson. Sometimes you got to give people that penalty. Mm-hmm. You can't throw things on the field. What are your thoughts on, on the Yankees situation with the win? Yeah, definitely. You definitely can't throw things on the field. That's for sure. I, I wouldn't say that represents all Yankees fans. So I think that's uh, just a, a small group of, let's call them idiots like they are um, that, you know, it, this is always what happens. A small group of dummies. We'll just leave it at that is usually what ruins it for the rest of the people who are doing the right thing. And so you have, I don't know, maybe a couple dozen people who are throwing stuff onto the field, but that doesn't speak for everybody there. Um, you know, as far as obnoxious fans, I'll be real, real straightforward and honest with you here. The most obnoxious, annoying fans, and this is not speaking for everyone who's a fan of this team, but the most obnoxious fans I've ever been around were Boston Red Sox fans. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Some of the and you know back when they won their first World Series uh, in you know 86 years in 2004, they kind of got a little too cocky after that, and then of course they won in 07, and it just kind of continued to, to grow from there. And don't get me wrong, I, I I've rooted for Boston in those times where they've not had a World Series in a long time, so it was nice to see a historic moment like that occur. But in my personal, I'm not talking about on TV watching a game. I'm saying in in person being at a uh, event, I remember being at a Tampa game probably 15 years ago. And again, it was a small sect of their fans, but they were just absolutely obnoxious. So from personal experience, I would say it actually is Boston, not New York. Well, okay. Yes. I mean, and, <laughs> and I, I think, I think Yankee fans are really passionate. They're very knowledgeable, but I, I do think these unruly fans made the whole New York base looked bad. And it's just like you said, some idiots doing the wrong thing. And then somebody else sees somebody else throwing something on the field and they think it's okay, or this is what we should be doing. No, you just because somebody's an idiot throwing something on the field, you don't have to copy that behavior. You know, because if the Yankee player has got to come on the field and tell you to stop throwing stuff on the field, obviously you cross the line. Yeah, and definitely. You, you won the game. Now, if I'm looking at the, the most obnoxious fans or the most brutal fans in sports, it's not just one specific team. It's a city. I'd probably say Philadelphia. I mean, this is a city that – remember back in the 80s, they threw snowballs at Santa Claus for crying out loud. So, um, you know, let, let's throw another story into this too. 1997, the Phillies, uh, they selected uh, J.D. Drew, who's an outfielder in Major League Baseball for about 15 years selected him in the first round and he and the agent said we're not signing for anything less than they 
put a number on a piece of paper, and they said, we're not signing for anything less than this. If you don't make this offer to me, then I'll go play, you know, uh, I think it was either playing more college ball or playing in like a independent league. I think it was the independent league he played in. So he basically cycled back in the next year, went through the draft. He got taken in the first round by the Cardinals. And the very first series in either 98 or 99 that J.D. Drew played against the Phillies, there was a group of fans that actually organized uh, J.D. Drew battery night. They were going to throw batteries at him from the, from the stands. And, you know, that right there just tells you how crazy, not passionate, but crazy in a bad way, some of the people there are in Philadelphia. Again, that doesn't speak for everybody there, but just in a historic sense with throwing snowballs at Santa Claus and wanting to hit J.D. Drew with batteries, they're, they're pretty pretty brutal there. You better make them happy. So, <laughs> Yeah, and J.D. Drew's career never was the same. And when he turned out that big contract, that was kind of like the beginning of the end for him as far as having a productive Major League season. I mean, you know, career because – he had that stigma around him everywhere he went, and it just wasn't good for him. Sometimes well, he was dubbed, good. Yeah, he was dubbed the next Mickey Mantle when he was in college, and he was a great player, don't get me wrong, but he had some injuries um, that, that didn't help his career out. You know, a couple of things about J.D. Drew that I think are interesting. He made his Major League debut on September 8, 1998, and many people will ask, why is that date significant? That was the night his Major League debut got overshadowed by – and it fairly was obviously by Mark McGuire breaking the all-time single season home run record. So he was making his big league debut the day that uh, occurred. Um, His best season in the big leagues was 2004. It was the only year that he hit uh, more than 30 home runs and had over a hundred RBIs. And it was actually with Atlanta, believe it or not. Um, He's from uh, Valdosta, Georgia. So he was kind of a hometown situation. He went over to the Dodgers for a couple of years. He opted out of the Dodgers ended up in Boston for a couple of years at the end, but he just never really panned out the way that he had a decent career, but he never panned out the way that, um, that the scouts had kind of painted him. I mean, he was supposed to be the next, like I said, he was supposed to be the next great ball player. And again, he was, he was good, but he wasn't as great as he was panned out to be. Yeah. It just goes to show you sometime when you turn down a boatload of money, it sometimes can be like, you turn it down, your blessing. And he just never, like you said, he was a good player, but never up to that hype. And I, I think a lot of it had to do with the weight he had by turning down that big contract. He never could get around that. And I remember when he used to come up to plate, he used to get heckled so bad by everybody that was in the stands because of those big contract that he turned down. It just was, it just was kind of hard to be, you know, Drew for that time. Good guy, though, uh, from my understanding. Uh, good guy. Um, did a lot of good things off the field, though, um, which is uh, always a nice thing to see. So, um, right. What else do we have here tonight, Alan? Yeah, just a couple of things. I did want to let people know that, you know, since uh, a lot of people are into golf and they want to know about the PGA tournaments, They wanted to know what it takes in order for you to compete in a PGA tournament. A lot of weekend golfers and people who want to make it their career. I would say this, that if you want to be a pro golfer, being a pro golfer is like being an entrepreneur. You have to go out and network with people. You got to be able to interact with people. But if you want to win tournaments, you cannot just 
shoot par. Yes, if you shoot par or shot or two better than par or shot or two over par, that's a very good score if you're competing against a weekend golfer. A weekend golfer would probably, on his best day and on your worst day, would probably never beat you. However, if you're shooting a shot over par or shot under par and you're playing against other pros, you're probably going to be somewhere in maybe in the, in the 30s, if even that. So if you want to play in a PGA tournament, how you have to have your mindset is this. You need to have your mindset that you're playing for birdies on every single hole and you'll take a par worst case scenario. If you're doing a par five, you got to try to get it in three and which is an Eagle. And if you don't get in an Eagle, you're going to take a, a birdie on a par five. Your mindset has to be birdies. I know it's easier said than done, but that's what your mindset has to be. If you want to play against the pros, because you need to be shooting in the low sixties, not the seventies in order for you to play and win in tournaments. That is if you want to get a good sized purse. So a lot of people, you know, have asked me about that. And I've told them that, hey, they know a golfer that can shoot par or shot or two under par. I said, that's very good. That's a good score. A weekend golfer would probably never beat you. But it's not going to be good enough to win a tournament. And, yeah. and that's what you got you to gotta, you gotta have that mindset. No, that's very good, uh, very good uh, analysis uh, there. You know, golf is, and we talked about this plenty of times on the show, golf is one of those sports where most of the time you really you beat yourself or you lose to yourself because you, the, the mental game that starts to, to come to the forefront when you're playing either in a tournament or, you know, or, you know just out there playing with some friends, you, you sometimes let that get to you. And I think that definitely, um, you know, kind of like what you talked about last week, you know, when Tiger was in his, his heyday, you get some of these guys who are leading a major tournament, whether it's the U.S. Open or the Masters, and Tiger starts creeping up on Saturday, and he's five strokes off the lead, and you start thinking to yourself on every, uh, every shot you take, whether it's a, you know, second shot on a par five or, you know, a long putt from the other side of the green, man, I got to make this shot now. Or before I know it, Tiger Woods is going to be going past me. So it is a game of very, very much a lot of thought process goes into it. And the mental game and the mental part of it can be probably almost as grueling, if not more, than the physical part of it. That's, that's a great point, you know, Aaron. That's exactly right. That's another point that a lot of golfers need to understand that physically you might be fine, but the mental grind and the mental focus that you need to play in these tournaments is very intense. The, the person I've met that I've never seen a person that quite as focused was Tiger Woods. When he was back in his days, this is before the drama, I went to a practice round and I saw him. I kid you not, you could have had 200 people watching him as if he was playing as if you weren't even there. Nobody was there. He was that focused, that laser focused. And this is during the practice. And to have that mental fortitude and to have that mental stamina to play golf at a high level, you have to be really, really focused and in tune of what you're doing. You know, you have to have fun, but not too much fun. You have to be focused on your shots. And if you're not going to be a person who's going to be able to do that and be competitive, 
you may not probably want to play golf for a profession that is. Yeah, no, that's a very good point there. So, yeah. um, so we got some uh, some boxing uh, news or some some boxing uh, matches about coming up here this weekend. Uh, give me your take on uh, the Amanda Serrano and Katie Taylor that uh, was coming up. Yeah, that's going to be a very very good fight. They both are very good fighters, and it's actually a big fight. I- I'm going to go with Serrano. I do, do think that she's going to find a way to grit this out and get a win. She she's hungry. She knows that. Every win that she gets gets her a big purse, and she has Jake Paul in her corner. And I know Jake is telling her you can't lose this fight, you know, because your stock is going to go way down. So I got Amanda Serrano winning that fight. Then we have the Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez fight, which is also a very good fight. But I just think Shakur Stevenson is just a little bit too polished for Oscar. I think Oscar is going to give him definitely some good competition, but I just think. Shakur Stevenson is going to find a way to win that fight. You have Nico Ali Walsh versus Mr. Brana. And I, I just think Nico is going to be a little too much for for Alejandro. So I got Nico winning again. And I wanted to give my take on the Jake Paul fight. There's been talks that he might do a, an exhibition with Mike Tyson, or he can take a fight that isn't an ex- exhibition against Tommy Fury. I would say this much. I think Tommy Fury is making a mistake by fighting Jake Paul because when you fight Jake Paul and you lose this fight, with you having now eight professional fights, could be nine now, you lose to Jake Paul, your your career is over in a sense. So, yes, you might get a, a payday, a big payday, but it's going to be your only payday. I think you're begging too hard to get this fight with Jake Paul. It's going to be one of those things that you kind of be sorry what you asked for. And somebody was asking me, do you, think, do you think Jake Paul is good for boxing? I think Jake Paul is very good for boxing. He brings a lot of positive energy. The Amanda Serrano fight is actually a big fight that he actually helped lobby. And I think if he wants to fight Mike Tyson for exhibition instead, I think that's a, a big money maker for both Mike and also for Jake Paul. I would definitely think a lot of people would be more interested in seeing Mike Tyson exhibition against Jake Paul than seeing Tommy Fury. So if I'm Jake Paul and Mike Tyson is willing to do an exhibition, I'd do it. Yeah, and that'd be a great event too. I mean, Mike Tyson back in the ring. Um, obviously, this a guy who's been doing this for over 30 years. And, I, you know, as far as the money, I'm sure it'd probably be better with Tyson versus uh, with uh, with Fury, as you mentioned there before. So, very good point. Yeah, so definitely got some great fights coming up this weekend. Guys, check them out. Let, let you know my thoughts. I did want to let you know that I predicted Tyson Fury to win in eight rounds. And guess what? He won. Tyson Fury won in six rounds. So, I actually gave his competition a little bit too much credit. But he, he won in six rounds instead of eight. So I was on my point. I was on point with my predictions. So um, those are my predictions. Serrano, Stevenson, and Nico Ali Walsh. They are going to be very, very good fights, though, all of these fights. It's nice that they're they're coming up with these, these competitive fights. Boxing is not like MMA yet, but I feel like it's moving in a direction where you're seeing more competitive fights, which is good because as a fan, that's what you want. 
Yeah, no, that's an absolute uh, absolute uh, truth there for sure. So, well, another great show in the books here tonight on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio podcast. I want to thank, uh, of course, uh, Alan, of course, for being here, uh, as well as our good buddy Lou, and of course, our great sponsor, Chef G's Barbecue Sauce, which, of course, as we always say, is so delicious and addicting that you may need a support group. Hopefully, tonight, support group here for you. Uh, we spent the last hour and a half or so talking about our favorite things, uh, sports, NFL, Major League Baseball, golf, boxing, uh, a little bit of uh, hockey in there as well. So uh, for our guest, Lou, and for Alan, this is Aaron signing off. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Evan and Aaron's Postal Podcast. Subscribe and check us out on your favorite social media platform. Thank you.